I'm enough at last. Submitted for your consideration to sci-fi fans, Sean Majors and Keith Conrad, rewatch The Twilight Zone from beginning to end. It's like something out of that Twilighty show about that zone. Express elevator to the ninth floor of a department store. Carrying Miss Marsha White on a most prosaic, ordinary run-of-the-mill errand. Ninth floor. There must be some mistake. There's nothing here. Miss Marsha White on the ninth floor. Specialties department looking for a gold thimble. The odds are that she'll find it. But there are even better odds that she'll find something else. Because this isn't just a department store. This happens to be the Twilight Zone. Episode number 34 of the Twilight Zone was the After Hours. That's right, we have reached the Carrie Wood episode <laughs> uh-huh. of, of the Twilight Zone. Uh, it's the After Hours, and, and I think I, I mentioned this with a, a previous episode that, um, like, there were times where, uh, you know, like, I, uh, my brother and I would be camping out with my dad, and instead of telling ghost stories, he would just tell us Twilight Zone episodes. That's a, yeah, that's and, a, uh, that's a good strategy for, uh, for kids. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to remember, uh, any, anything original. Yeah, and this at, at one point was one of them that he, he told us. Uh, which it was very exciting when we actually saw the episode for the first time. Oh yeah, several years later. <laughs> uh, but it, it centers around a young woman named Marsha White, who uh, stops by a department store, and uh, she she's on a mission. She she wants to get a gift for her mother, and uh, uh, interestingly, she wants to get her mother a gold thimble. So that would suggest to me that she hates her mother. <laughs> Because I'm not sure exactly why you would you would buy somebody a gold thimble. I mean, my my, my mom um, my mom collects collects thimbles, uh, so I would always get one if I was in like an airport, you know. But not for her birthday. Not for her birthday, and like there would be like like it would be some sort of souvenir thimble. It wouldn't yeah. be a thimble that happened to be gold. Yeah, you're not you're not using a gold thimble. No, you're, you're not using it, and it's not particularly noteworthy to have around the house. So, what <laughs> purpose is this is this serving? I, I don't understand. I have I, I have a theory. Once we get to the uh, the meat of the episode, okay, that, that's that, that's fair. You, you've cha- you've certainly changed my perspective on a lot of episodes. <laughs> so I, I'm I'm excited to hear what you have to say. It's going to completely blow my mind on this one. I'm sure it will. Uh. So she's uh, she gets in an elevator um, and is taken to the ninth floor, uh, which doesn't actually seem to exist. Uh, but she uh, she goes there and uh, it, it's basically an empty floor except for one woman in a in a case, which, by the way, just happens to have a gold thimble. Yeah. Was she was she looking for a gold thimble all along or did she not know what she wanted? And then once the gold thimble was there, she's like, oh, yeah, that's um, it. No, no, she she specifically came in looking for a gold thimble. I believe there was even like an ad. Mm, that's right. Advertising yeah. a gold thimble, which, by the way, to get back to my original point, <laughs> um, who, what store is putting an ad out saying, hey, come see our gold thimble? <laughs> There's only one of them, which if somebody buys it, it would render this ad useless. Right. Yeah. 
uh, that, that would be a bit of a problem. Um, and I believe, uh, you know, I probably should have made a note of this uh, as I was watching the episode. I, I believe like it ends up being like 20 bucks in a 19, in 1960. Yeah. There's a, there's a very specific, like, uh, I think after shipping and tax and, and everything, it comes to like a cool 20 or something like that. Yes. And, uh, uh, by the way, it's worth mentioning that, uh, Marsha in this episode is played by uh post forbidden planet and Francis. Yes. Uh, I think that, I, I think she was in uh, she was in other uh, Twilight Zone episodes too, but uh, I think I think she was I think she's been in at least one we've already done, but I can't remember. Yeah. Um. So she apparently pays all this money, which I'm not sure with the uh, with the the inflation, you know, between 1960 and now, but it's a very expensive thimble. Uh, she doesn't look at it very closely, and uh, she notices that it's scratched and dented. And uh, so she's she's directed to the complaint department, which is on the third floor, and uh, she's trying to get a a, a refund from these people. And uh, she says, "Hey, I got it on the ninth floor." And they say, "Excuse me, we don't have a ninth floor, you crazy one." <laughs> um, half of like, well, not half, but a solid five minutes is spent on the mechanics of where returns should go. Um, whether they should go to the complaints <laughs> department or where they bought the original item. <laughs> it's like, all right, we're, we're not here for this. Um, $20 in 1960 is worth $175.86 today. Yeah. I, listen, I don't care if it is a, a Graceland thimble. <laughs> I, I'm not spending that much money for a thimble. No, no. You can have the Golden Gate Bridge on it. I don't care. It's not worth a, over $100. <laughs> Jeez, not going to be worth it. And, and she's she spent it without even thinking about it. It's like the end of Field of Dreams, where he says they're going to charge people twenty bucks just to look at the field. <laughs> it's almost as if uh, she has no concept of the value of money. She's kind of a dummy. <laughs> That's right, I said it. Not not to give away the love it. Give away the story. But, uh, <laughs> So, so anyway, she's having this argument with uh, the, the various people in the store. She's trying to convince them that there is a ninth floor. They're trying to convince her there isn't one. And then she says, hey, there's the woman who, uh, who sold me the thimble right there. And uh, she turns around and it turns out uh, she's a mannequin. <laughs> what a twist. It, it is a little, you know, it's, it's, it's unique. So my question is this. Were these people always mannequins? Were these people always dummies? I assume the answer is yes, right? <clears throat> like they weren't people who were turned into mannequins. Yeah, I'm thinking that uh, the 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 thing they're going with is uh, that that mannequins, uh, a little like the movie Toy Story. Yeah, uh, they they do have lives and personalities of their own that only come out when people aren't around. <laughs> So Although the, the the thing that I was wondering, kind of in the in the same vein as your question, is uh, do like the mannequins come alive when nobody's around, or do they only come alive after midnight, or do they only come alive when somebody gets water on them or feeds them after midnight? What, <laughs> what, what's the uh, lo- the logistics behind this? I assume it's when the when the store closes, um, but. How does how does Marsha White have a mom 
to buy a it's present true. for. It's true. Yeah. yeah. Like, so I don't know. Do they, you know, the very first time that they became alive, did, were they, did they just have like backstories built in? Like when, when yeah. the saleswoman takes her month to go out and explore the world, is she just, I mean, I, I get that you can like start relationships, but if you have a mom, you would have had to have that relationship all along. <laughs> That's true. Um, or is the and, mom and, another mannequin? Is the saleswoman the mom? And, and that brings up a question. Okay, so they're a mannequin. They come to life. They leave the store. Um, I mean, then what happens? Because if you've been a mannequin your whole life, well, you certainly don't have an apartment. No. You, you, you could. You certainly don't have a car. You don't even have like a 1924 Rickenbacker <laughs> with the that we talked about last week. You don't. You don't have anything. So, is that where you know? I now, mean, is that where most of the homeless people in the world come from? Like they're just mannequins who are suddenly foisted upon the uh, the world and have no idea what to do. I think there's three possibilities. There's they make up a large proportion of the world's homeless population. Mm-hmm. Number two, there is a Mrs. Havisham benefactor who has an, an apartment or a house for wayward mannequins who have their month. Cause this can't be just this one store whose mannequin. Right. Yeah. Life. You would think it'd be every store. Um, or three, maybe when this started, they like kind of like scraped up enough money to get an apartment or to get a house. Um, you know, they weren't spending money on $20 thimbles, but they were like, you know, they scraped up money for a month's rent. And then <clears throat> the next person who had their month out in the world basically worked to pay the next month's rent and so on and so on. Okay. That would be pretty efficient. Because they don't have to eat. Yeah. I, they, they probably just have a, have like a quota. Listen, you've got to make X number of dollars or the person who comes in here next is going to be screwed. Exactly. And you know the salesman. I, I guess maybe they they take turns, so maybe it circles around again. But like at some point, they like Marsha and the other mannequin who's who at the end of the story is is going to leave to have her thirty days. They'd have to have some sort of a conversation. Like Marsha would have to give her the keys. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's all sorts of logistical problems here. And uh, by by the way, not to not to backtrack a little bit, but like when you when you actually stop and think about it, this episode is like absolutely full of nightmare fuel. <laughs> this mysterious elevator takes you to an abandoned floor where nobody is. Uh, you're getting locked in a store overnight, and then at the end, you find out you're an inanimate object. It's a, yeah, it's absolutely terrifying. The first time I saw this, it was actually it was actually terrifying to me. Yeah, and, and then the, the the voices of the other mannequins uh, calling out Marsha. Oh my god, that's really creepy. Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't know how old I was, but old enough to get worried about. Well, like Marsha didn't realize she was a mannequin. Yeah, isn't that like the first thing you think of? Like, yeah, well, yeah, I don't think I'm a mannequin, but neither did Marsha. <laughs> she she was quite upset by the idea initially, actually. Oh. Yeah, it's. Um, I'm trying to trying to see if there's any type of. In the society, mannequins take turns to live among among humans for one month. Um, yeah, there's no. Yeah, I don't think that there's any uh, exposition on how how that works. Which you know, in fairness, as as we've mentioned in previous episodes, 
they've got 22 minutes of course to uh which is sort of lay out this idea so which is why you have to spend seven of those 22 minutes on returning a thimble exactly the the first whole third is not, not <laughs> buying the thimble and then haggling over who has responsibility to return the thimble it, it can it's actually a very simpsons uh method of storytelling where like the first act has absolutely nothing to do with how the how the episode ends <laughs> that's true and uh um we, we don't actually have frank nelson but we do have people walk you know uh, department store people walking around with carnations. So, yes. Uh, I think that that's a nice, nice tip of the cap to uh, Frank Nelson, who, who, by the way, was the, the, the archetype for the, yeah, yeah that's, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Um, yeah. By the way, by the way, if you, uh, it, not to go too far down the rabbit hole, please, but uh, uh, I'm not sure how aware you are of this, but but Frank Nelson was was an actor, and he was on like um, uh, Jack Benny all the time. Like uh-huh. he, he would, whenever Jack Benny would go out to buy something, like this guy was the uh, was always the salesman, and he talked exactly like the yes guy. In the, <laughs> the yes guy is based on Frank Nelson, so you can actually, and I'll I'll tweet out a, a, a link to this. Uh, there's a video of like just a compilation of he sounds exactly like it and it actually looks just like the yes guy too what does he um, what, what does somebody ask him in, in the Simpsons it's like are you are you having a stroke yeah no, no, no. So, so it's actually the first time that, uh, that uh, yes guy shows up and uh, he goes uh, Homer says, "Do you have a table for the mayor?" And she goes, "Yes." <laughs> and then Homer's like, "Why do you talk that way?" And he says, "I had a stroke." <laughs> oh God, poor guy. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so you know, not to take us too far down a rabbit hole, but I think you know Frank Nelson and the the yes guy from The Simpsons. I think I think they're worth it. I think so too. Uh, speaking of the uh, uh, the, the carnation wearing uh, department store employees, uh, Mister Armbruster, that that's a name that only exists in the Twilight. Oh yeah, it was like the uh, the guardian angel last week, um, J J Henry Hempstead or something like that, um, or Professor A Damon. <laughs> Um, I, I really, I really liked the acting in this too. Uh, and Francis is, is just so good. Um, the entire cast was, and it, and it was one of those large casts of extras, like in the, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's well-traveled ground that, uh, these episode titles fall out of my head, but the, you know, the one, where <laughs> the one where the, uh, husband and wife go to a casino and, uh, she, that, that's the fever, Sean. The fever, yes. Thank you. I, I, see, see, we missed an opportunity with this podcast. What we actually should have done is named each of the episodes, like just your description of. Ooh, that's, that's actually not a bad, one. not a bad idea. The, the one with the mannequins. You know, the one with the mannequins and Anne Francis, but but there's no spiders. Uh, no spiders and no Robbie the robot. <laughs> um. This is this is one I will always watch. 
Uh, me too, and and it probably has something to do with you know, like like I said, my uh, my dad telling that as a ghost story. Yeah, for me, it's my love of symbols. Uh, clearly, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, that's uh, that that's obviously gonna gonna play a factor as well. You know, every every night, my mom would tuck me in, and you know, she'd she'd uh, she'd sing a lullaby, and then she'd kiss my forehead and say, "One of these days, Sean, you're gonna get that golden thimble." And it's going to cost you one hundred and seventy-four dollars. <laughs> oh, that total is only going up. I mean, I spend one hundred and seventy-four dollars on anything. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking over that thing and making sure there's absolutely nothing wrong with it before I'm walking out of the store. Oh yeah, and I mean, it's it's got to be something that like you know you know your mom wants if you're dropping almost two two hundred dollars on it. Yeah, she she pretty much has to have told me, you know, I'll be really happy if I have a gold thimble. Hint, hint. Yeah, and, and that's it. Like, like you know, uh, my wife had had mentioned, uh, hey, I just saw this rubber chicken purse. Uh, you know, this is really cool, and so I know when uh, you know Christmas or or birthday comes around, I know I've, I've got an idea because she said she would like that. Money is no object. Right. Well, for a rubber chicken purse, how could money be an object? <laughs> Bring me your finest rubber chicken purse. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'd be interested to know what to, what the mannequins actually do when they when they leave the store, because because obviously we don't know much about uh, Marsha's life. Uh, during her 30 days but do they like you know do like are like mannequins constantly just walking out of the store and making a beeline for the nearest strip club yeah and uh, do, do they actually do they actually take some joy in just doing mundane stuff and that's what they do for 30 days because i would imagine that they do mundane stuff when they're when they come alive at night in the store I mean, I guess, I guess they just talk to each other and play cards, but, um, if they're, if they're going out, like if they, if they have, if they have like a, a a boyfriend or a girlfriend, do they say, Hey, you're not going to see me for X number of months or like, Hey, I have to go away. Oh, that's they They probably like have families and then they'd be, they'll be like, I'm, I'm going out for a cigarette. I'll see you in, <laughs> or do they, do they just go to the, the wayward home for, uh, for, for lost mannequins for a month. And then they, I mean, I don't know, man, this was, this was made, this was remade for, for the eighties series. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and I kept thinking of, uh, while I was watching this and, uh, you know, while we're talking about them being just amazed by, you know, completely mundane stuff. I, I was thinking of uh, Ron Weasley's dad, like just being amazed at everything in the real world. <laughs> oh God. So I would imagine that that's what that, what that's like. I, I wonder if they actually, do they come alive every night? Cause you know, you mentioned, Hey, you know, maybe they're, they're doing mundane stuff when they come alive. <clears throat> do they come alive every night? Or do they only come alive when like it's thirty days and some it's somebody's turn now? Yeah, maybe that might be it. I mean, it just seems like it would be a, a lot less of a uh, 
miserable existence if they came alive every single night and then they just well yeah i guess that's true because they they turn into mannequins back into mannequins at, yeah and it's it's not you know the end of the evening and, and are they aware of what's happening to them while they're mannequins because because that that wouldn't be too pleasant like they're constantly constantly being moved against their will they're being dressed and undressed by strangers yeah we don't know what that elevator operator does well, I think that the elevator operator actually was a mannequin. Oh man! Because I think uh, I, I think we saw him later on. There's a lot to unpack in this. There, there is it, and it's another one of those episodes where, when you really dig down, uh, you know, Sterling is covering some disturbing territory. <laughs> we need answers. Marsha White in her normal and natural state, a wooden lady with a painted face who, one month out of the year, takes on the characteristics of someone as normal and as flesh and blood as you and I. But it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Just how normal are we? Just who are the people we nod our hellos to as we pass on the street? A rather good question to ask, particularly in the Twilight Zone. Abatron?